0: This uh, subject then, being forgiven by God, it's a subject relevant to all of us, whatever age, whatever background, but it's intensely personal at the same time because it applies to all who wish to please God but also to find true meaning and joy in this life. So if you want to please God and find real meaning and joy now, as we await the kingdom, then the scriptures we're going to look at uh, this evening should be of interest and value to you. Now, I'm going to ask you to look up just seven of the passages we uh, quote, but I'll mention a number of others too, read them. So, it's a relevant subject to us all, whether we've been baptised or are considering baptism. For as we are going to discover, all of us are always in a position of needing forgiveness. And so the question is, some might ask, what is there to be forgiven in me? Um, And in fact, one of my siblings when I was growing up, uh, one of my sisters, older than me, she wondered about this when she was about 14, 15. And she sincerely felt that having really thought long and hard about it, that she had no sins requiring forgiveness, okay? Um, Now, she was a very sweet-natured and kind young person. She had a good grasp, like many of you in this room, young, of God's ways uh, from her parents, my parents, and from Sunday school teachers. And there were no obviously bad habits um, in her speech or lifestyle, she thought. Well, she came to realise that sinfulness is as much about what we don't do to God's glory as the things that we do, that are against his will. That in fact, when we come to understand these matters, we all sin. We all miss the, the perfect standard, the mark um, that's set by God. And sometimes we, we don't realise that. So God's view of our natural condition, our state, is really quite stark. Prior to baptism, and even following it, depending on how we behave toward God, um, we're likened by God to things like bad clay, rotten figs, and filthy rags. In fact, God speaks of people who don't respond to him, Um, which is our right, our free will choice, but he regards them as beasts that perish. Uh, So it's very stark, isn't it? A realisation of just how God sees those who choose not to uh, follow him. And so it is that we have in Psalm 14, uh, this passage, um, it's in verse 2, it says, Yahweh looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God they are all gone aside they are all together become filthy God says there is none that doeth good no not one and so our natural state uh, before baptism in God's terms is weak and sinful now people may not see themselves like that. They may see themselves as actually quite intelligent, they've achieved, um, and they are charitable, you know. Um, They don't see themselves as God sees them, and that's part of the dilemma. As I say, in our natural state before baptism, God regards us as, as weak and sinful, and it's this that separates us from God, who is righteous. Now, Some might say, well, actually, I'm really close to God. Um, I'm not separated from him at all. Lately, I've really got into this trend of fasting, uh, sometimes twice a week. Uh, I give to lots of charities. Uh, Some of them are for medical research, uh, also for the environment. I I feel really close to God. If everyone was like me, the world would be a great place. Um... How then is this separation uh, according to God? Now let's turn then to Isaiah 55, which tells us a really profound truth about this question. And uh, it really is uh, an important lesson to take on board if we're going to make any progress uh, at all, really. Verse 9, God says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we're kidding ourselves if we think that by our own application, uh, by meditation, uh, self-denial, what they call aestheticism, and that sort of uh, pursuit, we can be uh, on the same par or thinking like God thinks, then we really are... Um, deluding ourselves. God says that there's a massive, infinite gap actually. Now that verse, you'll notice verse 9, begins with the word for, doesn't it? And that's obviously a a kind of connecting word, isn't it? And it links to what's been said in the previous uh, verse. Why um, there is a hope in the preceding verse of that uh, great chapter. So verse 6 actually Not the preceding verse, but going back to verse 6. It says, Seek ye Yahweh while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let them return unto Yahweh. And he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. These qualities and Uh, the ways and thoughts of the only true God um, enable us to have any hope at all of being reconciled with him and becoming close to him and to get closer and ultimately fellowship with God himself the creator of all things requires a process Uh, we can't achieve it by our own means the Bible states that in Christ we are purged from our old sins. That's in 2 Peter 1 verse 9. But you might ask, well, how complete is his forgiveness? Is it like a shortened criminal sentence that somebody might get, you know? And, and that a record is kept somewhere of someone's misdemeanors for a period of time. Well, there's an answer to that question, and it's in Psalm 103. We're going to read quite a chunk of of this psalm, um, Psalm 103, and we're going to commence at verse 11, where we read on, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. And then God explains it in terms which we all can comprehend. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pities his children, so Yahweh pitieth them that fear him. And we've read that twice, haven't we? Them that fear him. It's not to everybody. It's to those that respect God. It goes on in verse 14. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes, for the wind passes over it and it's gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting upon who, verse 17, upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments not academically it goes on to say to do them so we note that big condition to such as keep his covenant and those that remember his commandments to do them so we're called to keep the new covenant in Christ and that begins with belief and baptism there is no other way And we'll we'll read that in no uncertain terms shortly. Now, the question then arises, why does God describe his forgiveness in the words of verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, and so on? Well, imagine a globe um, with lines of longitude and latitude, Okay. Travelling from the North Pole southward, you would reach the South Pole, and if you kept going, you'd begin to travel north, wouldn't you? So there's a limit on how much you can travel south. At some point, you're going to start travelling north again. But if you travel eastwards and keep going, do you ever stop going east? No. You never do. <laughs> you You always keep travelling east. It is unlimited. East is therefore infinitely further than west. Does that make sense? I once tried to uh, explain this very thing using a globe or a football or something, and I got myself into a terrible mess, (laughs) explaining it terribly badly. So I hope that um, what I've said there makes sense to you. Does it? Yeah? Not if you think so? Cool, that's great. So when God the point about this is that when God forgives our sins, he says, as far as the east is from the west... So he removes our sins completely. Now another question that we might ask, does God forgive anyone, everyone? And the Bible answer is yes, so long as they understand, believe and act upon the terms that God has set down. Now some people might object to that, and say, well, why should I? You know, I want to just do it my way. And we're at liberty to do that with free will, aren't we? But if we want what God is offering, then we have to do it according to the terms he set down. Let's uh, go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Because this addresses this very issue. Um, and this is way back in Old Testament times, as I'm sure you know. Deuteronomy and uh, chapter 4 and verse uh, 29 we're going straight into the, uh, the text here but it says but if from thence thou shalt seek Yahweh thy God thou shalt find him if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul and I'm sure you'll be familiar with the way in which Jesus is called, of course, to teach that if you seek, you will find. That's to say, spiritual things, things that God wants you to have. If you take the effort to seek for them, you will find them, because it's according to his will. It goes on to say, verse 30, When thou art in tribulation, and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn to Yahweh thy God and shall be obedient unto his voice, for Yahweh thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers which he sware unto them. And it's because of verses like that, teachings like that, that the psalmist, for example, can rejoice in these words. He says, If thou, Yahweh, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared, respected. Now, God's consistent dealings and the reasons for his forgiveness are also shown in an interesting passage in uh, 2 Kings 13. Um, Just a brief quote from this passage of Scripture about uh, his people Israel, and how they um, got into a situation of being oppressed. And in verse 22, it tells us who this oppressor was. um, Hazael, king of Syria, who oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. And look what it says. Yahweh was gracious unto them, and had compassion on them, and had respect unto them. Why? Because of the covenant he'd made with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and would not destroy them neither cast he them from his presence as yet. So we're left in no doubt, aren't we? That God's character is wonderfully gracious and he wants to save. We've got to comply with his reasonable requirements. Now how can we sure about what God's terms are? The scriptures teach that God will only forgive a person who has a relationship with him based on faith. Now, I want to put to you that since the time of Jesus, that means someone who is in Christ, baptised, and therefore a child of God. Only Jesus can enable salvation. How do we know this? Well, I'm sure it's a passage you know in Acts 4, it's very clear. There's no salvation in any other. It says, there is no name under heaven given among men through which we may be saved. So forgiveness can therefore only be given to God's people, those baptised, the brethren and sisters in Christ. Now God may be merciful, and often is, to people who are not yet baptised, but their sins remain unwashed. Until the day that they obey God and are baptised. Now, what I've just said was presented by a brother at a youth camp that Jane and I went to, to help, and um, it came as a real shock to a number of young people who were from Christadelphian families. And it caused quite a bit of discussion afterwards, because they thought... That even before their baptism, they could pray and obtain forgiveness for their sins. And it's just simply not true. And it was quite a realisation for some of them, and perhaps for some of you here who are not yet baptised. Initially, we need to begin a relationship of faith with God by baptism in order, as Scripture says, to be baptised for the remission of sins. And we've seen from Acts 4 that it's only possible through Jesus. Later in Acts, we're told of a man who needed to be forgiven and who said to Philip, remember, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptised? And Philip said to him, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still They went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised him. And because the man believed that he was forgiven, he went on his way rejoicing. And it doesn't end there. Following baptism, we must continually repent to receive forgiveness, as we're taught through Paul concerning the believers in Corinth. I'm just going to read to you an extract, in fact, from the RSV. Um, in 2 Corinthians 7, it says in verse 9, Now I rejoice, he says to them, because your grief led to repentance. For you felt a godly grief. And it goes on, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation and brings no regret. But worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief, grief has produced in you what eagerness and so the point we're making here really and through that scripture is that guilt has a purpose it can lead us to a better self-awareness but interestingly guilt can become excessive it can become damaging and even offensive to god if it's overindulged. And it can become, for some, an excuse for poor service or giving up. There's a a curious twist about this aspect of forgiveness that we must just briefly address. Because some, and I've met people like this, they claim that they're so sinful, right, so beyond the pale, that they would never be able to be forgiven. They honestly have said that. And really speaking, this is a kind of pride It's effectively saying that they are beyond the ability of God to deal with them. That the power and grace of God by his Holy Spirit has limits. That it's not able to cope with them. And this is a very serious mistake, needless to say. The worst sin of all, for for it's a denial of God's character and power. We know that it's the only sin that cannot be forgiven. That's to say, blasphemy against the very Holy Spirit that forgives. So what are some of the issues? And these are just a few examples of issues that require us to continually seek forgiveness, even after we're baptised. And just a few thoughts. So one is separating ourselves from sin as we grow in awareness of God and our desire to imitate him. Um, Willingness to continually make changes in ourselves, improvements. Um, Forgiveness Because we should forgive others. uh, But we don't always do that, do we? From the heart. Um, That we get disheartened. And we sometimes forget that when we're forgiven, part of the reason we're forgiven is that we would help others, actually, who are struggling, and encourage them. Just a few points. Our desire to seek forgiveness comes from our awareness of our need to separate ourselves from sin. And our calling in Christ is to actively try to be separate from sin. It's very difficult to achieve. Our own tendencies, the world. um, But the truth is, our parents, our friends, cannot save us. We have to take action ourselves. We have to appraise ourselves honestly and realise that if we don't respond to God, and in baptism, that our sins are still exposed. We're still vulnerable to death, eternal death. We're no different to anybody else out in the street. The fact that we've uh, been brought up with a knowledge, and may have some understanding, until such time as we respond to it in baptism, we are very exposed. Yeah. And so. God says through Ezekiel that when he brings judgments on the land, even he says, even if Noah, Daniel and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall deliver but their own souls. So that's quite a sobering thought, isn't it, for those of us who um, have yet to be baptised. Now, our desire to seek forgiveness comes from our willingness to continually make changes and improvements in our service to to God. And sometimes we're not aware of some of the uh, weaknesses that we have, which is where our brethren and sisters come in. And if we have a relationship of the right sort, then hopefully they have the courage to tell us where we're going wrong or what, what mistakes we perhaps are making. That's true love. Is speaking those kinds of words in a desire to uh, improve before God, and so our desire to seek forgiveness also comes from our awareness that when we are forgiven, we should forgive and help others. Remember that parable about the two debtors, um, you know. And imagine if you were somebody who had uh, sins that amounted to a suitcase with five billion pounds in it, say, and you're you're, you're forgiven that debt, you, and then you've got someone who, who has done something against you which is like five p's worth. <laughs> you know the parable. The Another issue about which we uh, seek forgiveness is about being disheartened, um, about the fact that we persistently sin. And, uh, and this is what you might call the Apostle Paul syndrome. You know, the scripture through him is very candid, isn't it? The things he knew he should do, he admits he doesn't, and vice versa. Um, But God knows about all of us, and he knows the thoughts of the hearts. And he's willing to accept the sacrifice of his son as the atonement for our sin. So the death of Christ is a declaration of the righteousness of God, that God might be justified. And as we've said, guilt has a purpose in leading us to a better self-awareness. Let's turn then to Acts chapter 13. We're again this teaching about how we can uh, draw close to God and have great joy and confidence in this life as well. Acts 13, verse 37, speaking of Jesus. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things. That is the offer that we all um, receive from God through his word and the work of his son in the second letter to the Corinthians we're told that God has made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him now we began uh, Brother Barnaby quoted uh, read for us part of Psalm, the psalms Now we're going to look at Psalm 51 and it shows that forgiveness has this other purpose, this other dimension and that is that having been forgiven, we can then help others. And so this wonderful passage, uh, which we know David after his great sin of adultery and murder um, for which he was forgiven. Verse nine, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. But it doesn't end there. God did all of that. But the next verse, verse 13, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. So what that seems to suggest to me is that when we fail and we recognise it and we seek forgiveness in sincerity and faith, we believe we receive forgiveness. But we then should use that as a means of preaching. That we should actually talk about our faults because when people hear that in us, they suddenly think, wow, it's not just me then. Um, this, this person isn't this you know incredible Bible student that's way beyond me and totally different to me. I mean, that's what this passage seems to be saying, doesn't it, in verse 13. And that's what David did. And of course, for David, it was kind of open secret, wasn't it, in the nation of Israel. But there's the, the teaching. So just to conclude with a few points to to take away. The first is that we must continually seek forgiveness once we've been baptised as we become more and more aware of our nature and failure to separate ourselves from sin. Secondly, that um, we have to recognise that we fail to make the changes and improvements to the glory of God And so we seek forgiveness for that. Third point is that we must forgive others if we expect to be forgiven. That parable. That we mustn't get disheartened when we repeatedly fail. Because if you read the Old Testament, it's just one failure after another on the part of God's people, isn't it? It's just a complete history of rebellion and uh, appalling transgression, you know? The fact that the children of Israel behaved at times, God says, worse than the Canaanites, that they were supposed to get out for their corruption. And then, fifthly, that we can rejoice that by being baptised, we can be forgiven, and we can help others to do the same. So forgiveness, and these are just some thoughts, It's a big subject, but it's one of the most joyful blessings of a relationship with the one and only true God. It really is a wonderful teaching of the gospel um, and it's been preached uh, to the faithful of all time. And when failure does inevitably occur in our lives, we have the assurance that when we approach God forgiveness, he is willing to do so if we're sincere. Now we began with Psalm 78. We're going to go back to there as we conclude now because it's a, an exceptionally comforting passage in this regard. Um, again, speaking about Israel, who so often strayed from God, verse 35, the passage we read, just these few verses, because it says there that they remembered that God was their rock, and the high God their redeemer. I mean, you think of Israel today, and so many of them have no time regard for God. And they're so self-confident with their military and other powers. And there will come a time when this will be true of them. And some will remember that the God of Israel is their real rock and redeemer. It goes on, in spite of recognising that, verse 636 says, Nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouth... And they lied unto him with their tongues, for their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. And if it was you or me, and we had that kind of reaction to what we'd given out of ourselves, we'd say, well, just get lost. You know, if that's your reaction to what I've given you, forget it. But not God. Verse 38. But he, being full of compassion forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes away and cometh not again. Now I put it to you that if God's character and ways were such towards natural Israel under the old covenant, imagine how greater it is for those of us now who can or have been baptised and are part of the new covenant in his son, then the prospect of compassion and desire from, from God to help us when we fail is even greater than what we've just read there. And so may God, being full of compassion, forgive our iniquity and bring us all into the glorious kingdom that's coming of his son. Thank you.